Guys, we're going to have a great show today with Jeff Lester of Hunt Hard Outfitters. I wanted to give you a reminder that Dar Colburn and I are doing a turkey seminar for the Desert Christian Archers and NWTF, I believe, on March 21st at Calvary Church, uh, which is there off of on the west side of I-17. I believe it's around uh, Cactus. Uh, just off I-17, you can see it right off of the freeway. I believe it starts at 6 uh, p.m. We're going to be doing a video presentation and then a question and answer session on turkey hunting. Uh, you can email me if you have any questions. You can go on uh, desertchristiansarchers.org's uh, website. Uh, you can also go on my Instagram, uh, but you can send me a DM through Instagram or an email at jscottoutdoors at gmail.com. If you have any questions, I can send you a flyer. Uh, they are also raffling off a hunt, uh, Gould's Turkey Hunt with uh, Colburn and Scott Outfitters and gouldsturkeyhunt.com. Uh, and uh, it's $10 a ticket. And they're going to announce the winner at the seminar. So if you haven't got the tickets, uh, make sure to uh, check out on my Instagram. There's a flyer where you can get the information to order the tickets. And that address is desertchristianarchers.org forward slash raffles forward slash turkey hunt. Uh, it's uh, $10. This hunt is for 2018. If I have availability in 17, we could potentially bump it up to this year if you win the hunt. Uh, you don't have to be present to win, so uh, buy your tickets now and uh, come see us at the uh, seminar. We look forward to uh, meeting all you guys, and it's always good to uh, get together and, um, and, and spend some time with the Desert Christian Archers. They're a great organization. And they're expecting a couple hundred people there. So it should be a great seminar. Uh, look forward to seeing you there. Make sure to look me up if you're a podcast listener. Let's get right to this episode with Jeff Lester. And remember, the New Mexico draw deadline is March 22nd. Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today we have Jeff Lester of Hunt Hard Outfitters. And Jeff has been on the podcast before. And uh, listeners really like hearing what Jeff has to say. Today we're going to break down uh, New Mexico. We're going to talk about elk and deer and antelope. We're going to break down units uh, 13, units 15, 16A, C, D, 16E. A little bit of talk about 16B, 17, and 23, as well as some other units. We're going to talk about 2B and 2C for for deer, the late archery hunt, whether that's a migration hunt or not a migration hunt. Uh, we're going to talk about landowner tags, uh, unit-wide landowner tags in New Mexico, uh, ranch-specific landowner tags. We're going to talk about how they do the antelope uh, landowner tags uh, in New Mexico and uh, just uh, how the general process in New Mexico goes. Jeff, since the last time I seen you, how you doing? I'm great, Jay. Really good. Been busy, um, but now I'm home. I've uh, been applying people for the draw and just getting ready for this upcoming season. Sounds good. Um, Jeff, uh, we've talked before and I've talked uh, with you a lot about Arizona Unit 1 and 27 and your expertise over there. Uh, but why don't you share a little bit with the listeners that maybe haven't listened to that podcast 
uh, but you you do every bit as much business in New Mexico, and you live right there on the line of Arizona and New Mexico. Um, share with us a little bit about your background of, of working in New Mexico and, and the value that you see for people uh, that maybe have never hunted New Mexico and the opportunities and the way the draw works. Just kind of dive into all of that. Okay. Well, uh, I was born and raised in Springerville, Arizona, and that's, you know, we're 15 minutes from the New Mexico state line. So as I uh, grew up and stuff, we spent a lot of time in New Mexico as well as Arizona, you know, hunting and, and you know, playing around in the woods in both states. Uh, when I first started guiding and outfitting, um, of course, it was a good advantage to live where I live because I can outfit and run the business side of what I do in both states. And there's lots of advantages to being and and being able to outfit uh, out of where I do because I I kind of if you were to draw uh, you know a 150 mile circle around where I live. You know, I'm based right in and around some of the best elk hunting in the United States. So makes it a good place to, you know, do run run my business out of. For sure. Um, you know, as we talked on the podcast before, um, you know, I mainly focus in Unit 1 and 27 and 3A, 3C, you know, the stuff that's close to us here in Arizona. But uh, I easily run 50% or 60% of my business is ran out of New Mexico for Hunt Hard Outfitters. Um, New Mexico has a lot of really good opportunity uh, due to they don't have a bonus point system such as Arizona. So everybody, every year, um, you know, it's it's just a luck of the draw state. Um, You can, you know, a, a, a guy could be putting in for 10 or 15 years and, and somebody that's just new to the game can jump right in and be competing with, with everyone else right now because there's no, no point system in New Mexico. So, you're, you know, it gives people that advantage of, you know, a lot of guys shy away from Arizona because at that point, and if they feel like, say, a guy's 50 years old and he, he wants to apply for the draw in Arizona, when he learns the point system, it, it turns a lot of people away because they said, well, I don't have any points, which in a way they have a good point that you know, they don't have the points. Their, their odds of drawing are going to be tougher. So I can now I can steer them towards New Mexico and say, hey, at least put in, um, you have nothing to lose. You, just, you can apply for the draw uh, under the outfitter pool. You get better. There's a better percentage of drawing tags. And... Uh, you know, they can also put in on their own if they were wanting to go non-guided. Um, but they can apply for New Mexico, and, and they don't have to be scared um, of competing with people with points because everybody, like I said, is on an even keel, and, and it's just, uh, you know, luck of the draw. Uh, from your own experience, uh, Jeff, like how many times have you personally hunted in New Mexico, and, and does that show that it is an equal opportunity state? Uh, yeah, so myself, um, uh, I can't, I don't know exactly how many, I can't remember how many tags I've had in New Mexico. I've been hunting over there for over 20 years and I've had a number of tags. Um, I've had some muzzleloader, uh, rifle and a number of archery tags there, uh, throughout the years. I believe, I think I've killed, um, eight or nine bulls in New Mexico. 
Um, I could be a little heavy there, but I know it's, I've had, I've had some pretty solid tags. Now, one of the reasons I've drawn so many tags in New Mexico is I put in for some tags that are easier to draw that, uh, maybe you're off the beaten path, but because I know the country so well and, and I know that there's an area where, uh, people might not have as good opportunity at a big monster bull, but that you can have opportunity at drawing the tag in a lot of my, you know, for instance, say an archery hunt, when I have clients coming in and different things, I might only get two or three days out of a 14-day season, say, to hunt. And so um, I put in myself, I, you know, a lot of people knowing from the podcast and different things that I love to hunt myself, and I, I put in for tags all over the West. So it gives me a good opportunity to apply for tags and in, in a unit where, Either I want to hunt clients in the future, so a lot of times I'll put in for a hunt that I've never taken hunters in that I can go and test out and hunt for just a few days to give you know my own um, opinion of, of what we could do with a client in that unit. So, so in other words, you kind of guinea pig it, go hunt it yourself, see see what it's like, and then if if you like what you see, then then a lot of times you end up. Uh, uh, end up taking guys and, and working those units over? Yes. And what I'll do a lot of times is I'll have, you know, I take a massive amount of repeat clientele. And not that I take the same guys every year, but a lot of the people that we take have hunted with us in the past. And so I might take a client five times in 10 years, um, wh- whether that's hunting on a landowner tag or hunting you know, because they draw the tags, um, I get that. And, and what I'll do is I'll take a, uh, client that has become a really good friend or something. And I tell them straight up, Hey, we're going to, I'm basically using you as a Guinea pig. I'll give them a little bit of a discount on the hunt. And sometimes I'll either put them in with me or we'll put them in and then we go and hunt a unit. And some guys are okay with that. As long as they know that that's what we're doing, we're going to go try it and see what it is. And, and I've had some of those hunts flop, you know, and, uh, but guys understood what we were doing. It wasn't like I just put a guy in there not knowing, you know, but it gives us an advantage to go hunt the unit and to really give it a honest effort to go see what that unit can produce. Um, you know, we're pretty quality oriented and a lot of the good bulls we've been killing in New Mexico aren't taken out of maybe the traditional big bull units in New Mexico. And we, we feel that by giving the people the opportunity to draw the tags versus the quality, that there's some units there that have very good quality but are kind of off the beaten path, meaning they're not on everybody's radar. And, you know, we keep some of that quiet just because, um, just because we go and kill a big bull in a unit doesn't mean there's big monster bulls running around in it. You know, it's just that we're, we're trying to kill the upper higher percentage of the quality that is in that unit. And most every unit um, in the southern part of the state or in the southwestern part of the state, uh, you know, mainly you're talking the uh, Apache National Forest and the Gila National Forest and Cibola National Forest, all those areas have the genetics, much like Arizona, and produce, you know, high-quality bulls. So, you know, everything above I-40 you get into the more of the northern New Mexico, comes more out of the southern Colorado-type genes, 
not that there's not good bulls in the northern part of the state. There's great places up there that have, you know, solid bulls, but um, down here in the Gila, on average, is your bigger bull units, you know, 34, 36, and some of the other units um, over in the central part of the state also produce good bulls. New Mexico's an excellent state for for elk because it's got elk throughout um, much of the state, and, and all of the units have good, solid numbers and, you know, have good elk cutting. How do you see, we talked about in the Arizona podcast on the 1 in 27, we talked about, you know, you've seen decline in quality. What do you see going on in New Mexico as far as quality of bulls, um, com, you know, compared to how you've seen it over the last 20 years? What's the trend? Um, now, New Mexico has a lot of areas that are a little more arid than Arizona. I guess your northern part of Arizona um, and some of those units that are a little lower in elevation, more of a desert-type unit. You have a lot of those units in New Mexico, and a lot of those units border units that have, you know, uh, you know, higher country. So uh, I would say that most of the state um, in quality, the reason it stays really consistent is because New Mexico stays consistent with numbers of tags that they release in a unit. And where you've seen big jumps in Arizona, um, you know, we've talked about unit one, how it was for, traditionally for years, it was 150 archery tags. And then all of a sudden after the wall fire, it jumped up to 300. Uh, where New Mexico, you don't really see that. They keep the numbers pretty steady. And because of that, uh, people can expect um, the same type of quality year in and year out. Now, that's not to say that some units haven't been hunted a little heavier than others uh, because they have moved the numbers of, you know, a little in, in, you know, certain units. But you don't see it as often as you do in Arizona with the, the fluctuating uh, numbers. And quality-wise, New Mexico, you know, we talked in the Arizona about the, in the other podcast about how Arizona, we shot more quality in New Mexico last year than we did Arizona. And, you know, I, do, I, I there's a number of reasons why that probably happened. I mean, the year before was kind of on an average. We did about the same in both states. Last year, we were just able to connect with a lot of the big bulls that we were hunting. Um, we got in there and got them killed. And, and you know, so that that's my hats off to my guides. They did a good job at, you know, passing up the younger bulls and hunting the, the upper age class that we are, that we're looking for, you know. How much of that do you think is, you know, you, you, you talked about New Mexico being arid, Arizona's arid as well, but like nine and 10 in Arizona are what I would call very arid where your 27s and your ones and your three C's are, I've got a little more, you know, live water, um, seem to be, you know, greener, higher, higher, uh, elevation. You've got the units straight across from you, east of you, you know, the 15s and the 16s. Uh, they're a little bit higher country, but then when you get into the 17 and the 13s and the 12s and some of those, they can be even more arid. Um, how much of that do you think plays into antler growth? Well, I think it's, I think moisture has a ton to do with it, and I think it, it affects New Mexico much more than it does Arizona. 
Not that the elk aren't going to get the water because most of the elk are watering on either cattle water, uh, which is drinkers and dirt tanks. Um, and then when you get into the higher units, say in the Gila, uh, you're, you're getting, you know, where they're going to have actual natural water, you know, springs, creeks, um, stuff like that. So you're not getting, you know, if you were to compare New Mexico with Arizona in a lot of ways, that 9 or 10, like you were saying, which are arid units, you're 13. 15 is a cross between the two. It has kind of a little bit of both. But 13, 12, those are really arid. And then 17 is is got, you know, much lower, like, desert country in it. And then it's got some very giant, you know, big, giant mountains as well. Uh, and then when you get over into the 16 units, into the Gila, you're much more like a unit 1 or 27, where you have, you know, uh, some of that natural water, uh, which with creeks and such, still has a lot of you know cattle stuff you know with drinkers and dirt tanks and different things, but it's got you know a little more you know natural water. So I just came from over there uh, a week ago. I went over to uh, meet with some ranchers on some landowner tags that I buy, and the Gila is covered up with snow right now. So all the high peaks in the Gila, as well as um, you know in 17, all, all everything right now that. Uh, above 9,000 foot has snow on it right now. So compare from what you saw the other day compared to in years past, what can you say as far as if you were going to look out into the future, how will it be average, above average, exceptional? Like what, what do you, what do you anticipate? What's your anticipation? We've had, we've had three really good years of horn growth in New Mexico. That's just been, uh, other than one unit, 17 was lacking a little year last year. Um, you know, they had a fire, a big fire in there, and a lot of those elk, I think, moved into another unit, um, and, and 17 was a little tougher than normal for us. Uh, but corn growth-wise, you know, uh, a few, I don't, I can't, it was seven or eight years ago, we had what we called the year of the 5x5, five five, and we had two bad drought years in a row, and uh, the year prior is what really happens in New Mexico, so... We've had, you know, if, if they had a bad year a year ago, then the following year without getting the moisture, it's going to be really bad. And we haven't seen that in New Mexico for a few years. We've had decent moisture throughout the monsoons and as well as uh, the winters have been, you know, last year was a little bit, a little bit shy on snow, but this year um, it's been very steady. And we've had a lot, of, a lot of warm storms come out of the southwest and across Cal- you know, Southern California, when we get that jet stream flow, uh, we notice that we've had warm storms. And so we've got a lot of rain, and it might not uh, be snow on the ground lower, but the higher peaks are catching the snow. And, you know, the ranchers that I've talked to said that this year has been, you know, exceptional for, for moisture compared to years past. So I'm expecting this year to be very good. I think we're going to, you know, have some definite big pulls. Um, hitting the ground and and I think it's just going to be a another another great season so well that's a good outlook uh if it shut off right now it's still going to be average correct like you don't see any way where if it just shut off you know moisture shut off right now that it's it could dip below below average do you no um the only time you might see that is when the bulls are finishing out uh you might you know that's what we noticed in a couple of units last year. Uh, it didn't catch, you know, they were 
they went into summer pretty shabby. And, you know, a lot of those bulls in that in those units just didn't top out very good. You know, they had kind of weak fourth and fifths on them and, you know, big front ends. Uh, so the way the snow sets right now and the moisture, the dirt tanks are, you know, the ranchers are saying are really, you know, got a lot of water in them, you know, on certain places, not everywhere, but I'm just saying certain places and the guys I've talked to said that the water situation is really good. And even if it shut off right now, uh, as long as you go into the summer and those bulls are really healthy, which they've got plenty of feed coming off of winter and they've got water. And as that snow melts, that snowpack melts on those north hillsides and stuff, those, that green, you know, those green shoots will come up in those little bottoms and valleys and those bulls will find that good uh, virgin grass coming up and, you know, that's what they'll start feeding on where they've been browsing all winter. They'll, they'll move on to the grass here shortly and start, you know, searching down that, all that green, you know, lush stuff that's coming up under the snow as well as right at the snow line and where the water's been, you know, running the, into the creeks and valleys. What are you hearing on sheds hitting the ground? Um, you know, they're starting to drop. Um, you know, it's from now till the middle of next month, uh, the middle of April, you know, that's when you'll really start, you know, you know, they're, they're dropping every day now, you know, especially the big bulls, you'll get them to drop. Typically they drop a little earlier, uh, than the smaller bulls, but, um, I know of a few decent sized browns that have been found and picked up. Um, not a lot, you know, we, we, I went out two days ago, uh, testing out a new pack and, you know, just did a little bit of shed hunting and, we didn't find anything brown, but, you know, the bulls are pushing the snow lines and, and, you know, they're up tight where the, where the greener grass is starting to come up. And, and, uh, I've had a couple, I had a guide the other day that one of my guides found, you know, a couple of browns, uh, as he was out looking, he found a set of about a 360 bull. So, you know, they're, they're starting right now. It's every day, you know, more and more antlers are hitting the dirt. So, um, it's just that time of year. So. Okay, you, you talked a little bit about the draw and how the draw works and that everybody's on a level playing field, so to speak, because there is no bonus points or no preference points. I want to back up just a little bit and have you walk the listener through the draw process. Uh, they can do it online and, and kind of take an elementary step back and walk us through you know, do you have to buy a license, you know, the different steps, so to speak. Um, and how the process works in drawing a tag, and then talk about the 84, the you know the the, the 10 and the six on the quotas, and kind of walk us through how the whole draw process works, and how one goes from never having applied in New Mexico to to you know by March 22nd the deadline having their information in, um, you know walk through that process. Okay. So for the listeners that have never applied for New Mexico, um, like I said, it's a really good opportunity state uh, because it has no bonus point system. So, um, and we'll, in, when I'm comparing these, I'm going to compare Arizona a little bit so you can understand and what the difference is between the two. Um, so in in New Mexico, uh, they get 10% of the tags to out-of-staters that are contracted with an outfitter. So 
66% of the tags are people who apply on their own and choose not to use an outfitter. Now, if you drew in the 6%, you could still hire an outfitter. It doesn't mean you can't go outfitted. But basically, you would do your applications on your own, and then if you drew in that 6%, then you could call any outfitter and book with any outfitter you wanted. Now, in the 10% pool, you, we do what they call an outfitter draw, where you have to be contracted with an outfitter that's, that's included in that 10% pool, to, and so you would apply with them. So if someone calls Hunt Hard Outfitters up, we have to contract with them, so we have a contract that they have to sign that they will hunt with us that shows all the terms and conditions, and then we apply them into the draw under our outfitter number. And then that in turn gives them 10% draw odds. I mean, 10% of being in the 10% pool versus the 6% pool. Now, the 84% is residents. So the residents of New Mexico uh, get 84% of the tags. And those residents in that state could also still hire outfitters if they'd like of their choice. Um, so it, it just gives an opportunity to actually break it down. So if you have 100 tags in a unit, 16 of those tags are going to go to non-residents. And, you know, that's, that's a pretty good little chunk of tags um, that's going to be, you know, given out to out-of-staters for that, for those units. Cause, so just, you know, to be units clear, have, just to be clear, Jeff, 10 of those are going to go in the guided draw that are contracted with an outfitter, and six of those are just going to be random non-residents that have applied on their own. Yes, yes, that's exactly how it is. Okay, and then in order to uh, actually go online and apply, if someone's never done it, what do they have to do? Okay, so basically they have to go online to, uh, you know, the New Mexico Game and Fish website, and, uh, which is wildlife.state.nm.us. Okay, that's the, the website for New Mexico Game and Fish, and... They're going to create an account, um, and by doing that, they're going to put in all their personal information and build an account, and then they're going to have a username and a password that they will have in their records, and then you can choose your hunt choices for all the different species, and New Mexico has a lot of different species. They have some exotic hunts as well. So there's a number of hunts you can apply for, and then pretty much you can just start applying um, after you do your research on what you want to do, you know, and you can, and that's pretty much how it works. And just to be clear, do you have to purchase a hunting license, uh, right there on the spot online? And if you do, no. okay, you do not only if you draw. You do. Yeah. So the system is set up that you can click and you have, you can buy your, so let me use an example. Say I have a hunter that buys a landowner tag right now and he's going to hunt in the 2017 season no matter what. So, But we're still going to apply him for the draw to try to save him the landowner tag to either sell the tag to another client or another outfitter. So when we apply him into the draw, knowing he's coming this year, I'm going to purchase his license. But there's a, there's a box that you can click to have your money sent back if you're not choosing to... So if you do not want your license... You click a button, and it and it sends you your money back if you do not draw. If you do not click that button, 
they will charge you for that license. Okay, that's a good point because in Arizona, you have to you have to purchase the license in order to get a bonus point. But in New Mexico, there are no bonus points. So if you click the box, if I'm not drawn, send me my money back. I want a refund. That's the box you say to check. And then in essence, you're only out the application fees. Yes, yep. the application fee is all you're out. Now, they do hold your money. So if I was to put in for, say, five species today and they charge me $6,500, they are going to bill your credit card for the $6,500. Okay? And they hold that money until the draw is up, and then they will place it back on your credit card if you are not successful. Or if you draw one tag, they'll, they'll minus that money out of that and send the rest and put it back on your card. Okay, and uh, if you... Uh, let me let me back up here. So, if you go through that whole process and and the deadline is March twenty second, typically mm-hmm. when do you find out if you drew or not? How long of a period is it roughly? Oh, you're kind of catching me off guard on that one, Jay. It's uh roughly. I, I know I I think it's about a month and a half, right in there. Okay. Um. I know that when Arizona's comes out, New Mexico's like a week, I mean, you know, like a week after the draw, typically Arizona's will come out a week after New Mexico is due. Okay. And I'm sure they're in contact a little bit about that. I don't know how that works, but I mean, um, I've never seen that draw in Arizona come out before that New Mexico's due. Yeah, because guys, I, I, I hear about, guys all the time. They're like, if I knew I drew a New Mexico tag, I, I, uh, or if I knew I drew an Arizona tag, I wouldn't apply for this hunt in New Mexico because I don't want to draw them both at the same time. But I've never right. heard of it where guys can hedge their bed in New Mexico waiting on Arizona. It seems like Arizona always comes out after the New Mexico deadline. Yeah. Yep, okay. and uh, that's—I I mean, I think you know that's probably planned a little bit, and I can see why. I mean, because you'd have a lot of people maybe falling off the draw if they didn't, you know. Okay, um, and then if they're going to put in in the guided or the outfitter pool, uh, it, with the deadline being March twenty-second, uh, how how do you recommend people getting a hold of you? I would assume time is of the essence, and as quick as they possibly can. Before I'm sure you're getting you're dealing with it right up to the deadline, but you tell people right away get a hold of you. Yes, I have a you know right now I have a pretty high call volume coming in. Um, you know, just yesterday I had, you know, I was answering the phone all day and and had probably 16 messages left on my phone while I was talking to other people. So the best way for me is either text me on my cell and my cell number is nine two eight two four five two six six eight that's my cell number and the best way is to text me that uh, you're interested in applying for the draw and then I will contact you and of course I need your email and email is another good way to contact us um, just Jeff at hunthard.com is my email and you email us and then we will see the paperwork that is needed for us to apply you in the draw and that's important to know because guys don't, they need to understand that you have to be contracted by state law to apply into the outfitter pool. So 
I have to have those on record to where if they were ever checked, the people that I apply under my outfitter number, that I have contracts for all of those people in my files showing which, you know, it's just it's a good way for us to, you know, we basically build a file for every client um, and, you know, what his hunt choices are, of course, and, and then we build him a plan of what we're going to apply him for, so. Okay, that's good stuff. Um, I want to dive into the nitty-gritty of the units and kind of break them down, if you will. Before we do that, I want to give a shout-out to the sponsors of this podcast. First, Go Hunt Insider, my title sponsor. Uh, Go Hunt Insider and the crew, Lorenzo Sartini and, and Chris Porter and Brady Miller and the guys over there uh, do an unbelievable job with their uh, harvest statistics, their draw odds, and they've been able to break down New Mexico draw odds. I'm, I actually have them pulled up here on my screen and we're going to get into it. Uh, but these are the most accurate draw odds out there. So if you are interested in knowing what your choices are and trying to find some of these hidden gem hunts, you know, maybe you're a hunter that's looking for, you know, a trophy, trophy bull. Maybe you're a hunter that's looking more for opportunity. Uh, that's where the value of Go Hunt comes in uh, with their with their unbelievable draw odds. And with that, the strategy articles uh, and uh, they give uh, free gear away, free hunts away every single month. You know, they're given Kuyu sleeping bags, you know, Kuyu backpacks. They're given, you know, 100 phone scopes away. They're given uh, hunts. They gave a doll sheep hunt away. Uh, just by being an insider member, uh, you can be uh, in the drawing every single month. Uh, use the J. Scott promo code when you're signing up and you'll get a $50 Kuyu gift card when you sign up. They're going to send it to you electronically. I'd also like to thank Kuyu.com. Jason Harrison uh, has, has been, uh, I've been using Kuyu gear uh, since they came out. And uh, just in the last week or so, we've announced that Kuyu is going to be a sponsor of this podcast. And we're going to have some cool incentives and, and promotionals that we're going to be running with Kuyu. And it's easy for me to talk about Kuyu because I've worn it uh, literally since the first a piece of gear came out that's all i've worn and i'm a believer in jason harrison and his crew and uh love kuyu gear uh also phone scope cheston davis uh, makes the best digiscoping where he's taking a uh any phone can adapt it to any optic whether spotting scope or binocular and you can be taking photos and videos right away if you use the j scott 16 promo code you get a 10 percent discount and then the Outdoorsman's, the Optics Authority, Cody Nelson and his crew, Outdoorsman's.com. Cody Nelson uh, in Phoenix and his his staff, they are the Optics Authority. Uh, if you use a J. Scott promo code, you get a 10% discount there with the Outdoorsman's. I want to thank those guys for their support. And um, Jeff, let's get back into the nitty gritty of you know, the breakdown of units and let you tell the listeners kind of, you know, what units, uh, you know, you, you like to guide in and maybe what to make it easy. We just start with, uh, numerically, let's just start in, in, I know you don't specifically guide in this unit very much. And I know, uh, you know, I had a, a, a podcast with Tom McReynolds and he works over this unit, unit 12, uh, unit 12, let's just start there. 
uh, on the elk. Now we're going to be talking elk, both archery, muzzleloader, uh, early rifle, and late rifle. Um, what do you know about Unit 12? Well, 12 uh, has some very good bulls in it. It's a very arid climate. Uh, I mean, arid, you know, elevation, uh, not a lot of, you know, natural water and stuff there. A lot of, it's very checkerboarded, has a lot of private land in it. Um, you know, you had a podcast with Tom, uh, with, with Black Mountain Outfitters, and Tom has a lot of the ranches in that unit uh, leased, and so he runs a lot of his hunts on private land. And there's very few tags that are available for the public in that unit. And if you break it down into the out-of-state and the percentages that you're going to draw, it's got a very, very tough draw, uh, you know, truck draws to draw those tags. Um, you know, and, unit and 12. As, as well as that, um, sorry to interrupt, but, you know, with, with it being tough to draw, with it being so checkerboarded and so, so much private land, it's really not a prime unit for the do-it-yourself guy because of the amount of private land compared to some of the other opportunities and a bunch of the other units we're going to talk about, correct? Correct. You know, 12 is, you know, it's got a, it's got a decent amount of elk in it. Um, you're not going to see the amount of elk that you may see in some of the other units that we hunt, um, but it, you know, it does produce some very, you know, big bulls, uh, you know, on average. Um, you know, I can, you can just see, you know, Tom's definitely, they've killed some really big bulls over the years on that, in that country. So it definitely has the genetics, you know, to produce, you know, monster bulls. So, okay. What about unit 13? Uh, 13 is kind of a mixture between, you know, you got, you do have some big ranches in the unit as well, which a lot of the units in New Mexico have a lot of, a lot of private land, but uh, it's got a the Cibola National Forest, and it's got a lot of different BLM and state lands. So there's lots of opportunity in 13. 13 is um, not a unit that's for everybody. It can be tough at times, just like 12 can be. Uh, it's got very good genetics, got some really big bulls in it, uh, but it's it's not for everybody. It you have what to, do you mean? You know, meaning if you're going to hunt on your own, you got to do a lot of homework. Uh, you know. You could line up a hundred guys that have hunted thirteen, and half of them had a terrible hunt, and half of them had a great hunt. And it's simply because the elk are pockety, and they're not—you know—you're not just going to go and park the truck anywhere in the unit and find elk. You—you you know, there's a lot of time spent on the ground, guy—I mean, with guides, you know, and scouting and stuff to to get you into the elk. So guys that hunted on their own, um, that are very familiar with it, do very good there. And but guys that are coming for the first time. Uh, 13 can eat you up and spit you out. Okay. Um, what about unit 15? Uh, 15, um, I live, you know, 15 minutes from unit 15. 15 was, in its heyday, was probably the one of the biggest bull-killing units in the United States. It had phenomenal genetics, had awesome numbers of elk. It had high and low country a great mixture of, you know, elk habitat, and it was just an all-around awesome unit. Um, 15 is way down on my list of favorites due to, um, now, when we've talked about New Mexico being consistent, most of the units we've talked about are very consistent. Uh, Unit 15, out of all of the units we're discussing right now, has a massive amount of 
tags and elk tags go through that unit a year between your cow, your bull, your landowner tags, everything. I, I believe it's pushing, you know, 2,800 or something like that. And 2,800 uh, elk tags a year get hunted in that unit. So that's a lot. I know that sounds crazy. <laughs> and that's why the age class in 15 has been beat up extremely hard. Um, don't get me wrong, 15 still produces a big bull here and there. But it's nothing what it was compared to 10 and 15 years ago when the unit just, you know, pumped out big bulls every hunt. And didn't now the unit used to be, uh, Jeff, didn't the unit used to be like a 15A and a 15B, and now it's all one unit? Yes, it's all been, I don't know how long that's been, but it's been quite a few years. When I first started guiding and outfitting it, it was broke up into two units. So the 15A was, you know, the Arizona state line um, over to the highway that splits, you know, between Clamato and Apache Creek, and then it turned into 15B uh, east of that. And you know, over to the uh, the border of 13. Um, but now it's all one unit, and so. And what kind uh, of terrain? What kind of terrain is 15 in comparison to the 12s and 13s and the 16s? Uh, you know, what 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 does what is the country made up of? 15 is a is a mixture of you know it's like taking a 16A or a 16D and mating it up with uh, Unit 13. It's got both. It's got, it's got a lot of that low um, pinyon juniper cedar country as well as it's got some high country with, you know, conifer and, and, and uh, ponderosa pine and, you know, big forest country. So, you know, it borders Unit 1 in Arizona and, uh, you know, runs for, you know, what is it, 80 miles, you know, clear over to the Unit 13 border. So... 15 is a huge unit. It's a big unit. It's got elk throughout the whole unit. Um, it's not as pockety as, say, a 13. I mean, the the entire unit is got good elk habitat in it, and the entire unit has elk throughout it. So, it, and, and, and they have and they have high numbers. There's lots of lots of elk in 15, uh, but it's got high tag numbers as well. And in and in the areas that we hunt, it uh, you know it has some of the the, the higher tag numbers so that, you know, you're going to see more people in 15 than you would in, in some of the other hunts. You're going to have company on a lot of the hunts as you're hunting. You're going to typically, you know, run into people here and there. It's very road accessible. People can get around in it very easy, and it's it's heavily hunted by lots of outfitters. So you're going to, there's a number of outfitters that run hunts out of 15. How does it compare to a one or twenty-seven? What what is it more like? Fifteen is it? Is it more like a unit one, or is it more like a twenty-seven or a three C? Or can you even compare it to anything? Um, is it like a, is it like a six A? It'd be like it's more like a uh, it's it's more like three A three C. That's a good that's a good comparison. Okay, so. Some good bulls, but quite a few people, really good access, which is good and bad because it allows people to really get around, a lot of road access. The further you walk from one road, you get closer to another type of situation? Yes. And, then and, I, wouldn't, if I'm, and I wouldn't compare the unit, I wouldn't compare unit 15 to anything in, that you just mentioned in Arizona, like the 1 in 27 for quality. Uh, 1 in 27 are kind of head and shoulders above 15 right now. 
Not okay. that 15, like I said, doesn't have some good bulls in it. It does. But on the average, um, your average bull coming out of there is being is a 280 to 300-inch bull. Okay, and when I look at the uh, Go Hunt Insider um, draw uh, odds, and if you compare the non-resident pool, which is the 6%, to the guided, if, if I just take the first hunt there to give the listener a, a little bit of an understanding, the September 1st through the 14th dates uh, in the non-resident, which is the 6% pool, there's 21 total tags. There's 563 applicants last year for those tags, so 4.9% uh, would be the draw in the non-resident pool there. If you take the guided same dates, 1st through the 14th, there's 35 tags available, 598 people for that, and it's an 8 point, there's 35 tags, there's 8.7% draw. So when you compare the 4.9% to the 8.7, it's almost twice as good of an opportunity to apply in the guided outfitter uh, pool there. And across the board, when I'm looking at these numbers, it, in almost all cases, it, it's almost twice as good, uh, in some cases even more, uh, to, to apply in the guided or outfitter draw. Let, let, let's talk um, let's talk about uh, 15 real fast uh, moisture across that 15, 13 15 16 kind of that country do you believe that any one area has been hit more than others or do you believe it to be uh, you know relatively the same amount of moisture um, I think it's been about the same amount of moisture I mean the storms that come through Springerville and Eager here where we live, uh, typically anything coming across, you know, Southern California or California comes right across uh, the mountain here in Arizona, and then it just continues on. Um, I would I would stay probably down in the Gila. They've got a little more um, due to the, you know, the size of the mountain in the Gila wilderness and stuff. It's, it's maybe slowed down the storms, and they've caught a little more moisture, but between 15, 13, and, um, you know, those units over here. I mean, I think it's, 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 it's been pretty average across the board in all the units over there. You know, I think they've all kind of caught uh, some decent moisture this year. Okay, before we dive into, you know, 16A and, and some of the 16s, I just want to ask you a question about uh, the, the archery dates are September 1st through the 14th and then September 15th through the 24th. And I believe in years past, they've actually, I want to say they've had three archery hunts, correct me if I'm wrong, but now no, they, do the, they do the 1st through the 14th and the 15th through the 24th. Talk about not just specifically 15, but in general, what it's hunters the general archery season. Yeah, what what hunters can expect in that first through the 14th, and then the the draws across the board in the 15th through the 24th seem to be, you know, twice as bad, so to speak, or 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 the early hunt is a lot easier to draw. Why is that? And just talk about the dates of those seasons. Okay, so you are correct. New Mexico used to have it broke up into three seasons. So the first through the 24th was broken up into a 10, an 8, and a 6-day hunt. 
So they had the first or the tenth, you know, and then they had an eight-day hunt, and then they had a six-day hunt. And as an outfitter, I loved that prior to this way, the way they're doing it now, because you get so many people that are not, that don't want to hunt the first through the 14th, because obviously it's earlier in September, and they don't think they're going to catch the rut like they normally would, which there's a lot to be said with that. Um, and then the 10 day season that comes in after that, um, of course, that's what everybody wants. So the statistics of drawing that have gone way down. Um, a lot tougher draws because that's what everybody wants. Now, with that said, um, we hunt the first hunt, the first through the 14th, and I prefer hunting the second part of that season. Does that mean I won't bring somebody in on the first? No, I will. But, uh, you know, typically people are going to be sitting water, hunting water holes and, and uh, maybe spot and stock um, in open country because a lot of times in the first part of that September hunt, those bulls are still patched up and they're just getting ready to break off from each other and start searching for cows. With that said, I've seen that first hunt be very good because the bulls are not with the cows yet. And they're in that transition zone where they're searching and coming in to where the cows are. And I think a lot of times those bulls can be more callable in that hunt than they can be in the second hunt. Um, I killed a bull a few years ago. Uh, I had an archery tag and we had a day to hunt. And I shot about a 320 bull. Um, you know, I think it was on the 8th or 6th or 7th or 8th or something like that, you know, early. And, <laughs> excuse me, uh, you know, I went on a ridge and, and he bugled one time in, in an hour and a half and I knew he was there. So I just snuck in close tight on him and knew I was in the vicinity of him and gave one light cow call. And 30 minutes later, that bull walked on top of me and I shot him at 30 yards. Good one. Uh, just about a 320 bull, uh, just a nice, good, solid six by. And, you know, I only had one, one day to hunt and, uh, in between hunters coming to another unit that we were hunting and I had a tag in another unit. And so I ran in there and, and I've killed a number of bulls on that hunt with my bow myself. Uh, really like to hunt that first hunt. Sometimes I like the second hunt for rut action. Obviously those bulls are with those cows and, you hear the bugling and the, the rut activity is much heavier. Uh, but that first hunt for the right hunters can be very, very productive. Um, it's not for everybody, but it can still produce, um, you know, very good bulls. So. Okay, let's move on to 16A as an a- apple. Okay, um, in, in the process of talking about A, we're going to talk about D as well. Uh, they border each other, the Gila. Gila National Forest. Um, so which, one, which one's east, which one's west, or do they border north to south? Tell okay, the so you've got, how they border. Okay, so you got 16D that lies north of 16A, and then 16A is in between 16B and 16D. So it'd be 16D, and then 16A, and then 16B. And they're all in the Gila National Forest, those three units. Okay. And they're all very good units to hunt. They've been burned pretty heavily in the last, uh, I think it was three or four years ago, there was a, there's been a number of fires in the Gila National Forest between B and 16A. Um, and D has caught some of those fires as well, but not maybe as heavy as, as 16B um, and A. 
but when we're talking about those Gila hunts, because a lot of guys are going to call, you know, you'll hear people all the time, oh, I, you're hunting the Gila. And then they get here and they're not hunting the Gila. Like the Unit 13, um, 16E, uh, 15, that's not the Gila National Forest, but a lot of guys call it the Gila because it's in and around the Gila National Forest. So that's something that gets, that Gila gets thrown out there a lot, and it's actually not very factual compared to what the actual Gila is. And um, 16A is probably one of the top units in the state right now, very tough draws. Nothing, there's not an easy hunt to draw in 16A. It's uh you know, a first choice applicant, I mean, a first choice for a number of applicants is 16A for a number of reasons. It, it's got big bulls, it's got a lot of elk, and uh, the quality is just really solid. And, you know, it's been, been really, you know, produced some very good bulls here in the last, you know, three or four seasons. 16A, uh, if you were going to rank the three, six, or, well, I guess it'd be the four 16 units, A, B, C, D, and E, so I guess five units. Where does 16A rate in quality? Uh, probably number one. A, A, A is probably number one, and D is probably second. Um, and a lot of guys would disagree with me there, I, and I wouldn't say that. D is, is, can be excellent as, as well. I mean, they're, they're very comparable. A um, lot more country in A, A is much bigger than D. Um, you know, it's got a lot, you know, it's got a lot of access. There's lots of places you can get in and get around, you know, and, and hunt different spots and drive 20 miles and hunt a different spot that evening where in D you might not get that, you know, I mean, you can still get around in the unit, but both of those units are very good, uh, for quality. Um, both, you know, D has got tougher draws cause D is very limited. You know, D has got the least amount of tags out of any unit in the ELA. And it's, you know, very, very, very limited, um, you know, draw you opportunities. Hear, I hear a lot of times, you know, D, 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 everyone's saying D, 16D, and, and yes, 16A is good, but you, you're saying you think 16A is better. Yeah, in the years past, you see, you got to go off past reputation. And for years, D was the unit. D had the biggest bulls in it, and, I mean, everybody just wanted to hunt D. And for a number of reasons, and it had great elk hunting in it. Um, in all of these units we're talking about, A, other than, I mean, A in the last few years has produced some really, really big bulls due to much of the unit burning, just like Unit 1 and 27 in Arizona. They went in there and they planted the burns just like they did in Unit 1 and 27 in Arizona, and those elk thrived during that time they were you know had very very good feed all the you know the wheat and barley or or whatever they planted with the, the helicopters um those elk were in there you know having a smorgasbord of you know unbelievable nutrition and that's why it was pumping out some big giant bulls it's kind of tapered off and just like one in 27 did um it's kind of going back to what it was you know last year the archery hunt was good it was excellent but it probably wasn't as good as the last three years leading up to last year where they were just it was phenomenal a was on fire and everything's kind of panning back out again as it does after these burns okay and so in other words these burns have created better feed better open habitat better hunting opportunities elk like it 
hunters like it. It's it's just a good good opportunity. Whereas D didn't get as much fire and uh, hasn't opened up that country. Isn't it amazing when these burns hit? How the elk just thrive. And not only that, the elk move. I mean, I would bet there's elk in D that have moved to A just because of the more supple feed. Oh yeah, you'll get you'll get that crossover big time because. Um, you know, I don't know what it is. And I mean, you get a lot of elk that, you know, you get on that transition zone of D and it, on that transition zone of, of D and A, you have, uh, you know, Negrito Creek that separates the two. And you'll get a lot of elk that come out of D that will go into A and vice versa. You know, you'll get, you'll get A bulls that'll come into D just like you do in one and 27 or, you know, nine and 10 in Arizona, any other unit, you know, it's a border to us. It's not a border to them. Sure. Sure. Uh, And we've we've talked about 16A. You've talked, you started in on 16D. We've talked about archery. Uh, Is there one, uh, muzzle loader hunt or or early rifle hunt or late rifle hunt that you think is better between when you're comparing A and D? You've already said that you kind of like 16A better, but are there particular hunts that you say, you know, the muzzy hunt's usually better on D than than on A, or, or how does it work? Okay, so that's another good thing to understand. So New Mexico has for years what they call the primitive weapon unit which was archery and, and muzzleloader only, okay? So 15 is one of those units. You're hunting muzzleloader. There's no center fire rifles in unit 15. 16D is, is rifle, both hunts. Your first and second hunt are both rifle. Now, could you shoot a muzzleloader in that hunt? Of course you can, okay? Uh and then 16A is are both rifles as well as 16B. And then the only unit like 16E has a rifle and a muzzleloader hunt and archery, which there's very few units that do that. Uh, 13, muzzleloader, archery only, no centerfire rifle in that unit. Um, 17, muzzleloader only, archery only, no rifle in that unit. Okay, so that's that's kind of good to understand how that works because um, I have hunters that call me all the time and say, well, I want a rifle hunt. And and then they'll say, yeah, I want to hunt 13. And I'm like, well, 13 doesn't allow rifle. It only has a muzzleloader hunt. You can only hunt with a muzzleloader in specific unit. And the units that you hunt that are rifle, usually all the hunts are rifle in there. Like a 23, that's a rifle hunt. Um, so it's good to understand how that works in New Mexico because there's certain basically back in the day you had to pick your weapon even when you applied you could only put in for archery or only rifle or only muzzleloader now you can put in for an archery rifle and a muzzleloader for your three choices if you'd like got it uh and and since we're talking about the uh, muzzleloader and rifle hunts and we're talking about the October hunts uh it looks like the uh, most of the muzzleloader hunts start on the 14th. Some of them start on the 18th. Uh, and my question is, as far as, you know, you get it all the time, this is the question you get. 
or, or like 16A, the rifle hunt starts on October 14th through the 18th. The second rifle hunt goes October 21st through the 25th. How much bugling will you hear? And, and is it, you know, do you get that second rut? And it's, you know, I've heard, oh, they're screaming their guts out. And then I've heard guys say, I didn't hear a bugle the whole time. What are your thoughts on those dates and how does it work? You're going to catch a little rut action in that first hunt. Typically, you might have some of those smaller bulls that didn't get any action in the, in the, in the, you know, in the rut. They'll still be hanging around those cows. And if you have one of those cows come into second, you know, estrus or something, you you're going to get a little rut action maybe. But once that first rifle rifle cracks off or that first muzzleloader, those bulls shut up and the rut is done. And those bulls will really start pulling off in that first time. Because back in the day that. They, the hunts used to start much earlier, but now they moved in a youth hunt and a mobility-impaired hunt. It starts closer to the front of October. And those hunts, you will catch that rut action a little bit. Uh, but later, as time goes on, they, they, they push that hunt back a week. <laughs> now, I mean the start day of the first gun hunt. And, you know, we get the question all the time, are, are we going to get any rut action? And the question, the answer to that is, no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't count on it. You're probably. You might get it. Hear a bull here and there. You know, last year I was hunting 16D in the first first gun hunt. Um, opening, actually, the second morning, we got into a little pocket of of cows and bulls that were screaming their heads off. Um, but not. That's not. That was the only day that week that we heard that. And when we got on the bulls, they were 300 inch bulls that were with cows. So they were just pumping along and there was nothing of any size all the big bulls were already all singled off and by themselves and with that said um you know when people are asking what's better the first or the second hunt that's kind of a toss-up as well because i think the second hunt can be just as good as the first hunt because as those bulls are in transition zone leading those cows they're actually they can make it to where they're going to be in those hunts by the second hunt where beforehand they're on their way there, so you you know I've I've had bulls show up that I never saw in the first hunt, and then I see them in these canyons and I find them on the second hunt, and they're bulls that were not there the week prior. You know, so there's so, bulls coming and going, and you know a few years last year we had a bull on trail cam uh, that uh, that we hunted in archery season. That bull was in a completely different unit in archery season, and I found him on the second gun season last year in a different unit. <laughs> and it was about 20 miles from where he was running. Wow. So he, wow. he had moved two mountain ranges. And when we saw him, it was a bull that we had seen in another unit prior in archery season, 20 miles from where he was in the gun hunt. And, you know, we didn't shoot him. We passed him up, but he was a, you know, he was a really solid bull. He had a really distinct, uh, you know, characteristic on his antler that we knew he was the exact same bull. So um, that told me a lot about, you know, that spot that I was hunting there. And, and it's a bull that, you know, we'll definitely target next year, this, this upcoming season, in that hunt. Because if he puts on the size, what we hope he'll put on, he'll be a, you know, he'll be a shooter bull this year. Do you find those bulls after the rut, you know, you, you, like you said, you got a trail camera in another unit and then they pull off and you see them in another area in the rifle hunt. 
would it be your bet that year after year that bull is going to pull off either in the exact same spot or in that same general country as long as there's no change you know there's no there's no fire there's no um nothing that adversely affects that are are you thinking that they pull off and do the exact pattern uh yeah i see that a lot in new mexico um i've i used to not believe that as much but in the last few years I've seen a lot more of that that is that I have seen benefit us. And what I mean by that is we've we've been able to hunt. I hunt specific units at specific times where I might not be a fan of a certain unit during, say, an archery hunt, but then I go there in the late muzzleloader hunt and hunt the unit. And the same with a unit that I might hunt in archery season where that's the only hunt I do there is the bow hunt. And after the archery season's done, I leave it and, and I don't go back. Uh, and then I go to another unit to hunt rifle. Because these bulls, as they're moving around, um, I'm not going to say the unit I'm hunting, <laughs> but one of the units that I hunt, I see bulls in another unit during archery season, and those bulls go to another unit for the late season. And we're killing those bulls, we're hunting those bulls early, and we're hunting those same bulls late, but in a different unit. Makes total sense. Uh, let's keep going down the line here. You've talked about 16A, you've talked about 16D. Uh, let's talk about uh, C, or B, C, and E in 16, and maybe uh, give a little bit of info about uh, B, C, and E. Okay, um, let's we'll start with B. 16B is the Gila Wilderness. It's uh, got no roads in it. It's uh, got access trailheads, uh, comparable to like a Unit 27 in Arizona. Um, you can get around the unit, and then there's trailheads that you can go, you know, into the unit 20 miles if you want. Uh, very rugged, steep. A lot of it's burned. Um, Got good elk numbers. Been producing some solid, solid bulls. Uh, not as many outfitters hunt it because you've got to be geared up to hunt bee with horses. Um, we do bee hunts as well as the other hunts, but we're not as uh, you know. We we'll hunt the fringes of it at a lot of places where you can just you know backpack in and and day hunt or you know spike out in a spike camp and hunt in there. It's uh definitely produced some very you know really good bulls in the last few years um but it's how's the bugling in there uh pretty pretty hardcore rut action um in the second hunt especially um very good bull to cow ratios a lot of that rough country holds you know some of it holds as many bulls as it does cows so (laughs) any place like that you're going to have a lot of rut action you know um where like say 15 has these monster herds of cows and a group of bulls that's going to go work those cows, where in the wilderness, you don't have as many cows, but the cows that are there, there's a lot of bulls, so you can get some really, really heavy rut action in those units. Um, So 16C, um, we don't have that on our list to hunt, because we just don't hunt C. C's not a big, I've never been a big fan of C. Not to say they don't kill some solid bulls in C. Uh, There's outfitters that hunt it. It's just uh, got a couple of big pieces of private in it, and um, I just never, we just don't, we've never really spent a lot of time and, and a lot paid attention to see, you know, a lot of guys, you know, like I said, do fine there, but we're just not, 
not a big fan of it. Okay. Uh, 16E is in Edward. Okay, 16E is another one of those units that's got a lot of hard access. It's got a, you know, a couple of big monster ranches in it um, uh, that, that cover most of the unit. And, you know, it's got a lot of really, really hard access. And you can't just, you know, drive into 16E. There's, it's got a couple of access points where you can get you to trailhead, where you can hike in, uh, but you're not, you know, you're not just going to uh, take a quad and drive into the unit and start hunting, you know. And and E is is uh, kind of a, you know, it's got a, it's a lot of low open country, a lot of grasslands, um, can be a very very tough hunt for a lot of guys. Um, you know, we've hunted it for years and we do we do fine there. Uh, but a lot of guys, you know, go there once and never go back because it can be a tough hunt for a lot of people. So, okay, good, good information. Um, but it it can be a tough hunt. But it sounds like there's some opportunity if you can figure out how to slide around some of that private ground and get back in there, and and it might create an opportunity, but could also have a dud of a hunt. Yeah, that that's the you know that's the the part about 16e is we've hunted it for years um you know i'm a fan of it because it's uh kind of been my stalking grounds for a long time and and i like the hunt uh but like i said it's not for everybody you have to be in excellent physical condition it is not a hunt for someone who cannot put 10 miles on a day uh of really strenuous hard steep climbing and up and down walking so, okay. Uh, 17. Okay. 17, um, you know, got a lot of popularity after a couple of really big bulls got shot in the unit and it, you know, kind of publicized it a little more. It was kind of something that was not on everybody's radar. Uh, the unit always has some really, really big bulls killed in it every year, but it's a tough, tough, tough hunt you know, like another hunt that's not for everybody. It's got, you've got to be in excellent physical condition to hunt 17, um, to get into the areas where, you know, most of those big bulls hang out, especially in the late hunts when those bulls climb and get in the rough stuff. 17 has some of the roughest, rockiest ground you can hunt in, in New Mexico. Uh, in the rut, you'll get a lot of those bulls that'll pull off and come down into the flats and in, into the foothills, uh, during the rut with, uh, you know, for the cows and stuff, but 17 had a good, you know, big fire in it last year, and uh, a lot of those elk um, out of that country, I think, split and moved into some other areas. Um, a lot of those elk probably had come back by the late hunt, but uh, 17 was definitely off last year from its norm, um, and, you know, we're expecting it to, you know, it's going to produce a good bull here and there, always does. Uh, but it's a tough hunt. It's not, like I said, it's not for everybody. I mean, there's, that's one thing. You can't compare all the units in New Mexico to each other because they're just, they're so different and diverse in their own way in every area that you hunt over there. Um, you know, as we've talked, you know, 15, you know, it's a unit that uh, an older individual can hunt because it's a much milder area, where 17, it's the complete opposite. You have some of that mild country, but the bulls, 
pull out of it and get into the really rough, nasty, rugged stuff. I mean, I've hunted in 17 and seen elk that we literally almost could not kill. Uh, wow. Literally moved up into almost sheep country, you know, like really steep, rough, uh, you know, cliffs and rock and 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 canyons and hillsides, you know. I thought I'd point out there, just looking at Unit 17, the September 1st to the 14th on the Go Hunt Insider odds, uh, there's eight total tags for that hunt, 238 applicants last year, uh, 4.5% in the non-resident, that's the 6% draw, and if you go in the guided pool, which is the 10%, the same numbers, first through, September 1st to the 14th, it's 13%. Uh, for it looks like six, uh, six tag. Let's see, 13 tags. Excuse me, 153 applicants. So definitely going in the guided pool, you're going to have, you know, a, a difference between 4.5% uh, and 13. It's a huge difference. Um, one last unit I want to talk to you about, uh, specifically that you guide, and that's unit 23. Uh, what is 23 all about? Uh, 23 is a really, really rugged unit, uh, that borders Arizona, borders unit 27 in Arizona. Um, it's a long unit that runs along the Arizona border on the western side of the state. Um, it's got a good mixture of, of some low country as well as high country. Um, very, lots of big canyons. Um, not a lot of great access in that rougher stuff. So it's got some horseback opportunity and some hiking opportunity. You can hike back into some areas. The elk numbers are not as high as, say, a Unit 27 in Arizona. Uh, years ago, they did a kind of an you know unlimited uh, hunt in 23, and it really it's never really been the same since because I think there was over 500 rifle tags in that unit on one hunt at one time or some crazy thing like that. This was back years ago, of course, and uh, it's never really been a, don't get me wrong, there's some very big elk in, in 23 and some good bulls get shot there every year, but it can be very, very hit and miss. Um, and it's just another one of those hunts in New Mexico that if you do your homework, you can really capitalize on it, but if you go there blindly, um, be prepared to uh, have a real terrible hunt. Okay, I want to ask you a few things just off the top of your, just right off the cuff of, uh, out of the units that we talked about, um, three best bugling units in the archery hunt, the three best. Uh, 16B, 16A, and 16B are going to be your top rut unit, top elk, um, action, uh, size, everything. And, okay. um, you know, obviously there's other units in the state that are, that are very good as well, but those are, those are the top. Okay. Um, I'm going to go down through the units and I just want you to give kind of a size expectation like, you know, oh, you don't see a lot of bulls, but you may get a, you know, average bulls kind of a blah, blah, blah. Um, and you know, just, just whatever comes to your head. 13. 13 is a 325 to 340 bull hunt on the upper end. Um, realistic expectations are more like a 315 to 320 average. Okay. Um, but it's sky's the limit. You could kill 
some monster. You could kill a 390-inch bull in that unit every year. I mean, there's, there's big bulls in the unit. Fifteen. Fifteen is a 280 to 300-inch average bull hunt um, with a few bulls being taken in that 320 to 330. Uh, and, in it, and every once in a while, uh, that 350 to 370 bull being killed. 16A. A is a average, I would say, a 320 to 340 bull hunt if you pass up a lot of the, the younger bulls that you're going to be seeing on the hunt. You're going to see high numbers um, if you do your homework and you're an, you know, you're an experienced elk hunter. Uh, but if your average opportunity at killing that 350-plus bull in that unit is probably as good as any unit in the state. 16 B is in boy. Boy is pretty much what I just explained in A. Um, same kind of, you know, same country, just lots, you know, a lot, little more uh, rugged and rough. And with the access being the way it is, um, you know, you're on foot or horseback when you're in most of B. So you have to understand that being mobile uh, in one unit versus another unit is going to drastically take your odds down. But a sky's the limit unit, you could kill a monster bull in that unit because those bulls in, in that unit are getting in there and getting lost and getting age on them. And you know as well as I do, Jay, you put a, a unit where elk are getting lost from people and they're putting, you know, they're getting up into that eight or nine year old age class, you're going to kill some big bulls. Okay, uh, 16D. D is that three, that 320 to 330. Uh, kind of a bull factory. <laughs> There's going to be you're going to see a lot of 320 to 330 type bulls in in B, um, and then that next step up, you're going to have to hunt a lot harder for. They're there. They live in the unit. Uh, it's got a lot of thick pinyon juniper country in that unit. Uh, very hardcore rut in that second archery, especially. Um, can be a super hunt. Also has the mobility impaired hunt as well as A, which you know, is a, is a mobility impaired hunt in the rut with a rifle. Very good for that. You know, definite opportunity at the 350 or bigger bull in D. If you do, you know, plenty of homework and you're going to pass up the bull that you, you know. I haven't walked out of D without a 350-plus bull in, in a hunt in years. 16 We're passing e. up lots of bulls. <laughs> so, uh, 16 E. E, e is... Uh, more of a 300 to 320 average uh, with another unit that you could just swap into a monster bull and kill it. Um, but on average, it's a 300 to 320 bull hunt. Um, you do your homework in the unit, you could kill a you know that upper of 340 or bigger bull. 17. 17 is... Uh, 17 is one of those units that you just, I mean, you could walk out of there with a 410-inch bull uh, and never even knew know that he was there. You could scout it all summer, never know the bull was there. You could go there in archery season and end up, you know, hunting the biggest bull you've ever hunted in your life. And then you could go there two weeks later and literally not see an elk in the same country. I mean, it's, it's uh, you know, and, and the draw odds from, you know, that you read from Go Hunt, 
explain that because punts that, you know, the draws in A compared to, say, a 17 are completely different. The reason why is because you've got your specialty, your, your hunters that are looking for a certain kind of hunt that are hunting 17, and then obviously you, you've got everybody that just knows that the Gila produces, you know, solid class bulls every year that are hunting those. So in other words, it's, it's, a, it's a hit or miss, but 17 could produce. It could be a, a, a bust, or it could, you could be a hero or zero. Yep, hero or zero. That's a great way to look at it. Out of, you know, last year, and I said we talked about this in the Arizona podcast, um, you know, last year, out of all the hunters we took, I think we took 49 elk hunters and we killed 44 bulls. Uh, our two 17 hunters in the gun hunt, in the gun season, we did not kill elk in that hunt. Um, they both missed bulls and they saw bulls, but we did not, We they passed bulls that they probably should have shot early in the hunt that we did not find later in the hunt. Um, looking for, you know, the upper upper age class bulls that are there. Now I have hero, a buddy. Yeah, hero or zero. Yeah, hero or zero. Now I have a buddy who in the last two years has produced um, a 370 plus bull in a hunt there the last two years in a row. Uh, but he was hunting one specific bull that he found scouting, and he hunted that bull till he killed him. And so those bulls exist in there. They live there. Um, you know, the auction hunters always look in 17 every year because it's a unit that can pump out a big, giant bull. But it's it can be the, it's a hero or zero hunt. It can be a hit or miss, very much so. So both of the people that booked with us last year in the unit in that hunt drew on their own and called us. Um, it's not, like I said, it's not on my top list of, you know, applying guys for, um, but I would hunt it myself again, no problem. Um, you just have to you just have to go into the hunt with the right expectation, and you'll be fine. Uh, you're not going to see the amount of elk maybe that you see in a 15, but your opportunity to kill that you know upper age class elk is definitely always there for 17. Okay, uh, 23 average average elk seen, or uh, excuse uh, me, average elk harvested. 20, 23 can be very hit and miss as well. It can be a lot compared to the 17. Um, you know, I know lots of people that go there and really take a butt kicking. Uh, I just, hunting 23, you have to be with the right guides and the, the right people that hunt it and know it. Um, and our guides that hunt that unit are very, very good there, and they always produce there. But uh, across the board, a lot of people don't do very good in that unit. Um, but the guys that know it and that hunt it a lot do very good there. Okay. So. Uh, another question is other units that you know about or that you've been in or guided in, or that you just know of that are not in this top tier, you know, what we've been talking about, but just some other units that are more opportunity hunts. Do you have any units that jump out at you that's like, you know, other, uh, the, other units, units. The, the units up north, you know, um, you know, and, and the stuff over in the central part of the state, uh, you know, 34, 36, 37, those units produce uh, solid bulls every year. Um, northern New Mexico up in 6A, 
those units produce, you know, a couple of really good bulls. And of course they have, you know, the, that there's a couple of specialty hunts up there that you can hunt the big places uh, from the old Spanish land grants and different things that have, you know, some really good elk cutting, uh, lots of numbers, really hard rut action. Um, but we don't focus on a lot of that other stuff up there just due to um, the availability uh, of being spread too thin. So we try to stay put exactly where we know that we're going to be producing the best bulls that we can kill, you know, in the hunt. Sure. And let's uh, talk about um, let's talk about unit wide landowner um, tags versus uh, specific ranch only landowner tags. Okay, um, unit wide. So when a rancher, we'll give the listeners kind of a easy breakdown on this because a lot of people don't understand how this works as well. So say say I'm a, a ranch owner and I have five thousand acres of private land. The the Game and Fish might issue, say, they're going to give me two tags for elk usage, you know. So they'll come in and do a study on the land or whatever, and they decide what kind of elk usage the landowner is getting, and then they'll, they'll issue him a landowner tag according to that. So then he can take that tag, and he can designate that tag unit-wide or, or, uni or ranch-only. If it's ranch-only, that tag can only be hunted on that 5,000 acres. If he makes it unit-wide, that tag can now be hunted on a million and a half acres. It can be hunted anywhere in that unit um, on public land. So a lot of times hunters will buy a tag and they'll say, well, I bought a ranch tag and I thought I was hunting a private ranch. So outfitters, some explain it very well and some don't. I explain it very well because hunters need to understand when they buy a ranch tag, that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be hunting private land. So I only buy unit-wide landowner tags because I don't want to be stuck in one specific area to hunt for five days. I want to be able to go anywhere that I need to go in that, in that unit to hunt. And... You know, uh, other people may have, a, say, a ranch-only tag. If the ranch is big enough, then that's fine. But um, I've always had a, you know, a strong belief that if the ranch isn't at least 15,000 acres plus, then you don't really want to be on a ranch-only tag. It, and and may, many outfitters would probably disagree with me, but... Uh, you know, I've been extremely successful at, at hunting unit-wide landowner tags due to that I'm not, you know, staying put on one specific, you know, canyon or draw with, you know, a couple of, you know, 50 elk on it. I just want to be clear, too. Um, in New Mexico, you can, as an outfitter, you can buy... Uh, unit-wide specific and landowner tags, and you can resell those to whomever you want. And those can't until they're uh, until they are. What's the word I'm looking for? Um, until the hunter actually they're validated, validated, uh, validated. Excuse me. Yeah. Once they're validated, then then no longer. But literally, you could sell a tag to me. I could sell it to someone else, and that person could sell it to someone else to a hunter. Correct? Like, there's no—is there any limit on who can sell it to who? No, there is no limit. 
Okay, and that so is, in other words, uh, and, and that has become a problem because there's there's many tag brokers in the game now. So you have people that are going out and contracting these tags with ranchers, and some of these tags are trading hands two, three, four times before they get into the actual hunter's hands, and everybody's tacking three, four hundred dollars onto it, and and the tag game in the last four years has erupted. Um, yeah. Most of the tags have doubled in price in the last four years. And tags that, you know, we once paid 2500 are now 5000 Some of those $5,000 tags are now 10000 I mean, there's some tags that are selling for twelve, thirteen, and 14000 um, and the And it is due to um, a number of reasons. Obviously, supply and demand is a big part of it because there's only so many tags, and uh, there's people willing to pay the big money for them. And when they're trading hands two, three, four times, everybody is, you know, tacking money onto them, you know. But most of the time you get the tags, um, people, in other words, people can call you up when they hear this podcast and, and you can listen to what they, where, what they're expecting, what kind of shape they're in. And you can say, hey, you might lean towards this or lean towards that. So you can, in other words, customize uh, yeah. When when people call and you have a wide variety of landowner permits available to you, as well as you also guide people that draw hunts in the out in the outfitted guide draw, and you guide people that draw in the non-resident. Both. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. So what happens? What I what I've kind of built my business around is I I try to customize the the hunt according to the individual. To where I, I want a guy, Hunt Hard Outfitters wants to uh, apply you and draw you in an area where we feel we can take you as an individual and kill you the biggest bull we can kill you. Whether that's a 300-inch bull or that's a 350 bull, we try to customize where we are placing you. Because when you call me, you're gonna, I ask you a number of questions. You know, how good a shape are you in? Um, on a scale of one to ten, you know, how far can you walk in a day? Um, do you smoke? You know, there's a number of questions that I need to know because I'm not going to apply you for just any unit. I'm trying to draw you a tag in a specific unit, um, you know, and get you where where you can come as a hunter and you can feel like you have a great opportunity at what you have come to do, and. You know, if you were, you know, overweight and you smoke and you, you just can't, you know, you can only do a mile a day, then I'm not going to put you in for a 17 hunt. I'm going to put you in for maybe a 15 hunt. So, but at the same time, you have your, your expectations might have to come down a little bit. So if a guy calls and he explains that he's in excellent condition, that he runs and he, he trains and, and, you know, he's... Uh, you know, in really good physical condition and he's willing to throw a backpack on his back and, and he's willing to, you know, eat dried food for a week and, and really get after it and he wants to kill that bigger bull then we might put him in for a 16B hunt um, because we're tailoring his expectations and what his desires are for a trophy to what he can physically do. The worst thing we do as outfitters, and this is any outfitter, is when somebody calls and they want the big bull, but they don't have the ability 
to come and hunt with us to kill that kind of bull. And, you know, a lot of outfitters might not tell you this, but I'm, I'm very upfront with my clients that uh, I try to, to tailor that to your, the fitting of putting a guy in the right area. Because if you're not prepared for some of these units, um, you're not going to come and have an enjoyable experience. Um, and so it's, that's why I ask so many questions um, to each hunter that calls because everybody is not created equal uh, when it comes to that, and you just need to know that up front so that you don't come and have a, a bad experience um, because it wasn't maybe what you thought. For sure. Uh, one question I would have in regards to landowner permits and unit-wide permits, uh, every person that buys a tag from you, does it go guided or it, do you sell some unit-wide permits and you just sell them the tag and, and off they go and they go do the hunt on their own? Okay, so um, I, I get this question a lot. A lot of guys call and say, do you do semi-guided? Um, there are some outfitters out there that are offering some of this, but by law and by contract, we have to be with the hunter two days in the field with a contracted guide from the outfitting service they drew with. So I'm talking, about, do, I'm talking about purchased landowner tags. Someone wants to buy a unit-wide tag from you. Do you have to be with them, or can you just sell them the tag? No, the tag, if I had a tag, say, that I had that I did not sell, I could in turn sell that to a hunter, and he could hunt that on his own. Okay, okay. Yep. Okay, I think that I think that's clear. Uh, yeah. So if a hunter, if somebody out found a, a landowner tag on the internet, they could purchase the tag as an individual. They could validate it and they could hunt it without an outfit. Yes. Okay. I know we've talked a lot about elk, and if people have more questions, they can call and and talk to you um, before the twenty second deadline, March twenty second deadline. Uh, I want to talk briefly about antelope, and I want to talk briefly about your uh, 2B, 2C mule deer hunts. Um, uh, first, tell me about the uh, antelope and how it works, and then tell me about uh, the deer. Okay, antelope in the state of New Mexico can be confusing for a lot of people. Uh, basically, what you're going to do, you're going to apply for the draw, you're going to pick your choices, and when you put it for the draw, uh, the state is going to, you know, do the drawing. They're gonna, if you get picked, you're going to get placed on a ranch. And when you get placed on that ranch, that's the area that you have to hunt. So um, you could scout. You can't go and scout a buck and think in any part of the unit. So you're going to have a specific area. It could be private land. It could be uh, public land intermixed in that that you could hunt. But you're going to be placed in a specific area and told that that's where you have to hunt. And so it can be kind of confusing to people because they get the tag thinking they can hunt anywhere in the unit. And in some areas, you can hunt on public lands in that area, uh, in that unit. But if you're getting put, you know, with ranches that are included in the, in, in the uh, program, you'll be placed on a specific area. So... To explain that, I buy a landowner tag for a specific ranch. The ranch is 65,000 acres. On that ranch, I have one tag that I buy. On that exact piece of private, there's four public tags that will hunt the same time I hunt. 
So there's five, 500 will be hunting that 65,000 acres for antelope. Me on my, my landowner tag and four public hunters that get placed on that ranch. Okay. Okay. So that, that makes sense. Uh, and how is the quality of antelope in New Mexico? I mean, they have some of the best antelope in the in the world, right? Yeah, it's got some giant antelope. Um, the quality's come down in the last few years uh, for a number of reasons. I think, you know, like areas that we're hunting on, we've had, you know, a lot of coyotes. Uh, so you see a lot of, you know, the, the fawns, the up-and-coming, you know, fawns, and, the, you know, the coyotes are pretty hard on antelope. Um, they do it. The ranchers try to do a good job at, you know, at getting rid of, you know, they fly, you know, they fly in aerial gunham and stuff and different areas. Um, but there's places in the state that have just awesome antelope hunting as well, you know. So there's the, the top units in the state to put in for. I mean, if you draw and get placed on one of those really good areas, it can be an excellent hunt. And it's got some really good opportunities for antelope. Very tough tag to draw, though. Very, very tough tag to draw. How many antelope hunters, you know, do you take a year, roughly? Oh, we only take two or three antelope hunters a year. Uh, you know, it, you know, the most we've, I think we've ever taken was four in one year. Um, you know, and, and obviously we're hunting a couple of landowner tags and then we, last year we drew, we actually drew a couple guys and it was the first time in three years we had actually drawn somebody in the antelope hunt and they actually got caught in Alaska and couldn't make it back for the hunt. Oh, so they actually, and they were actually placed on probably one of the best ranches that, that you know, New Mexico has for size. It's, it was an awesome ranch, and they just called me and said, we're stuck, and we can't. they called on a sat phone and said, we can't get out. We're socked in, and so they didn't even come. So. Wow. Uh, and, and New Mexico doesn't have the point guard like Arizona does where, you know, like once you are issued that tag, it, you're done, right? Like it, it's it's you you can't give it back no no once you draw uh the tag because there is no points there is no point guard but i just wondering if you could get your money back once you draw it it's it's yours yeah it's your tag yep okay uh let's talk tell me about the 2b 2c deer the late archery you know people say okay. it's, oh, it's the rut hunt it's a migration hunt what what's going on up there okay so we're going to start up in 2b and 2c um uh, Rio Reba County and up, you know, the, the, the stuff that's up on the Colorado border. Um, for years, it was ranked as number one, number one hunt in the state. Um, the, there's three hunts in, in northern New Mexico in, in unit 2B. And the first hunt overlaps our elk season in the Gila. So we don't hunt the first hunt uh, anymore. Uh, we used to hunt all three hunts. We would take anywhere from 10 to 12 hunters up there a year. Um, but as time has gone on, the hunt has drastically went downhill. Um, that's not to say there's not some very good deer in the unit. There's there's some big deer that still get killed up there every year. We've just cut back on our numbers that we apply for for the unit. Um, it's not a unit that I just put anybody in for. Um, people that have hunted with us either in that unit or have hunted with us in the Gila or down in this country for elk that know what we're about, we will take them to northern New Mexico and we will hunt that hunt. But it's not a, uh, I'm not a big fan of taking guys there that um, are going to judge 
the rest of our abilities off what that hunt produces now because that hunt is now a 150 to 160 upper end buck hunt for average. Uh, I wouldn't even call it an average. That's Guys are killing that kind of deer up there, um, but even that deer is not just a, a give me in that unit anymore. The 2B's got a lot of deer. Um, a lot of people think that it's a migratory hunt, and it can be if we get snows early enough, but in, I, in 10 years, I've seen the migration maybe maybe one time where the deer started to really filter in by the third hunt in November there. Uh, you, you had deer crossing over from Colorado and coming into northern into the northern part of that unit. Um, now, there's a lot of resident deer there that are what's happened in the last 10 years. A lot of your big resident deer, since the migration doesn't happen like you, you would see, think you're killing those deer out of Colorado. But what has happened is a lot of guys have been hunting the resident deer that live there and have been killing those resident bucks. And as that number has dropped of those resident deer, um, you know, the average of the deer being killed up there is just nothing like it was at one time, you know. So in four seasons, Jay, um, and this is what I personally guided. Myself personally, I took nine, actually 10 deer over 180 inches in four seasons there personally, okay? And then after that that time period, uh, it drastically dropped off, and we're still seeing and killing a good deer here and a good deer there, but nothing like we were, um, you know, six, seven years ago. Now, with that said, we're, we're, let's go into the late archery hunt. Now, by the time the late archery hunt rolls in, in January, the deer have already come out of Colorado. So the migration's completely over. Uh, there's many, I mean, you're, you're going to see, you can see two, 300 deer a day on that hunt. Um, but the rut is pretty much over. Um, you're still going to see a buck here and a buck there with those. And, but you've got a lot of deer that are, that are loners and, and you'll see, you know, you can spot them and you'll glass them up. Uh, depending on the conditions of the, what kind of weather we've had, depending on if you have warmer weather to where if you don't have snow on the ground, it can be one way. If you have snow on the ground and it's been warm and then cold at night, you'll get that crunchy snow, which makes stocking bucks in that country almost impossible sometimes. Um, but it can still be a really good hunt. I've never, uh, most, uh, very high success rate for killing in the, in the 2B hunt, um, for the late archery hunt, we've always killed, you know, some pretty solid bucks in the hunt because there's a lot of deer. You're going to see a lot of deer on the hunt. Um, but if you're looking for that 180 plus buck, uh, you're going to have your work cut out for you, um, you know, hunting it. So, so is the best part of that hunt, the first part of that hunt? Um, Yes, I like, if I'm going to hunt the January archery hunt in 2B, I like to be there, you know, New Year's Day, I mean, you know, the first day of the hunt. And start. And then that first week is when we like to hunt it. Um, you know, if the season's two weeks long, and, you know, guys that have the time and abilities to go and, and stay longer could, you know, find a big deer and, and hunt that one buck. They're pretty, they, they're pretty territorial once those deer get to where they're going they, they pretty much will stay in those spots and um, we hunted a 220 kind of buck uh, a few years back and that deer in 
six or seven days of hunting him, I saw that buck every day we hunted him. So wow, he was he was definitely to get to. Yeah, he was definitely you know findable every day. We'd climb on a hill and we glass that buck up every day, and he was by himself for eighty percent of the hunt. And we actually missed that deer twice. We missed him at sixty, and we missed him at forty-two. And uh, wow. so, you know, it's uh, you know, it's, it's what, what about other deer opportunities um, in New Mexico? Um, Is it very hit or miss? Yeah, deer, deer. The deer hunting in New Mexico, which kills me because I'd love to have a really good deer hunt. And you know, we kind of stepped out of that Tiabab and out of the northern part of the state in Arizona when the Kayabat started kind of going downhill. We really started hunting northern New Mexico a lot harder, and we were killing some really good deer there. And now as that hunt has really started to taper off, we're looking at coming back into Arizona and doing more deer hunts in Arizona because, you know, as an outfitter, we can only be so many places at one time, and the guides get spread in from place to place, especially hunting two states. So we have to pick our battles. We have to pick our hunts of what we're going to hunt, where we're going to be, and what you know, what we can ultimately end up at the end of the day producing on the hunt. And not that I don't like, I love hunting to be, I love hunting the country. It's one of my favorite hunts of the year. Um, it challenges me every year that I go there. Um, I've, I've been in the unit, you know, with a couple of my guys every year we hunt it. Um, we try to not miss the hunt. Um, but I'm just not taking the numbers I did once there, uh, that I did because we're just not killing the amount of quality that we once were. And if guys are looking for the quality, you know, in New Mexico as a whole is an elk state. Um, they haven't done a lot for, I, I guess, their mule deer. I mean, you know, the Hickoria, uh, you know, has always produced monster deer. Um, and it's in and around the northern parts of the units that we're talking about. So the northern part of the state, every year there's big deer get killed in New Mexico. It's not like the unit, the state doesn't have good deer hunting it's got a couple of spots that you know we're kind of hitting this and a big deer gets taken out of them you know it's it's much like is there big mule deer in one in 27 or 3a 3c well yeah there's some big deer that get killed in those units every year but is there very many deer no it, the deer numbers are pretty pretty bad compared to yeah. elk you know and when you're be, trying to do it efficiently and trying to guide it, it's it's a challenge to be chasing one here, one there, and sporadic where there's you know mixed quality all over. It's it's hard to take people on quality hunts when that can be the case. You're not saying that there's not big deer all over New Mexico. You're just saying it's it's hard to find an area where you can consistently go and have you know more than a you know one or two or a handful of big bucks in the whole unit. It, it's very difficult to guide in a situation like that. Right. A good example of that is last year, I, I uh, uh, we say we, we hunted the Gila. I had my own deer tag in the Gila. And every year while we're hunting, um, you know, we see a couple of really nice deer in velvet when we're hunting elk. And, and the Gila deer tag is good for all, all of the 16 units. So you can hunt any unit that has that 16, so you can hunt A, B, C, D, or E in the 16 hunt. And last year when we did that, we were looking for a specific buck, a 190-inch buck that we saw while we were archery hunting elk, and uh, we never put our eyes on him. I shot about a 165 uh, 4x4, 
and you know my buddy shot a you know just a deer just a buck and those were the only two mature deer we saw in five days of hunting wow now wow. like i said we were there hunting a buck that we know existed and lived there and we saw him we just never put our eyes on him during the hunt so the units have some good deer here and there but you know, you're not going to compare it to the Strip or Colorado or anything like that by by no means. Okay. You know, and to be like I said, we still go back there and hunt every year because it it does have some good good bucks in it, and we kill some. You know, we see some. I was hunting a buck in 2B last year. It was uh, a 190 plus buck. I just never got him killed. I mean, he lived there. We, you know, there it's tough country to hunt. We track a lot, um, and it's just. Uh, it's a good deer hunter's hunt for a guy that's hardcore wants to hunt big deer. There's big deer that live there, but your, your, your chances of going there and, and shooting that 180 plus buck are probably, you know, 20%. That's a lot of great information from you, Jeff. I want to give you a chance to, um, first I want to thank you for coming on and spending time with us. Uh, as always, I, uh, you're one of my guests that I get a lot of people asking for you, and I, I just appreciate your thoroughness. Um, I want to give you a chance to let the listeners know how they can get a hold of you and uh, where they can uh, find you, whether your website or Instagram, or why don't you go ahead. Uh, if you, on Instagram, um, a lot of you know that we, you know, we build backpacks and equipment as well, and we have a clothing line and apparel uh, under our Hunt Hard brand. And we just tore down our actual outfitting website. We're currently building a new outfitter website. Um, you can go to hunthard.com, and that's you can contact us through our gear website uh, right now. Um, or you can call me directly on the cell phone at 928-245-2668. That's my personal cell um, if you need to call and discuss you know, your options for, for the big game in New Mexico or Arizona. And then on Instagram and Facebook, we're both on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, Facebook is just under Hunt Hard. Uh, and our Instagram handle is Hunt Hard uh, underscore uh, gear. So it's Hunt Hard underscore gear. And that's how to find us on Instagram. And, uh, that's pretty much the best way right now. We're getting this new website up and moving um, from our gear side, and we're connecting all of our outfitter. We're building our outfitter information that will go on the website um, here in the near future. Right on, buddy. Well, it's exciting to uh, get all these apps in, and then it's a sit and wait, and then it's uh, you know wait some more over the summer and prepare for the for the fall hunting season and. Uh, Look forward to uh, seeing you guys' success in Arizona and in New Mexico uh, this this coming fall, and uh, wish you the best of success. And um, congrats on uh, your your success last year on your personal hunts uh, in in Utah and Arizona. And and um, we'll see if you if lightning strikes and you can draw again. Um, but I know I know you run a great business. You've got a great reputation, and I appreciate you. Uh, coming on here and um, just open booking it with us and uh, giving us all the uh, down-to-earth scoop on all these units. And I want to encourage the listeners to reach out to Jeff and and uh, chat some more with him. And um, 
I just I just appreciate you coming on here, okay? Well, I appreciate it, TJ. You're on a great podcast, and uh, it's really good to uh, – I appreciate you having me on here to give the listeners a lot of the information that you provide. Um, gives people, you know, when we're outfitting and we're out selling hunts at shows and different things, we answer a lot of the same questions every day. And obviously I'm answering a lot of those same questions now, but this gives a good opportunity for your listeners to come back and re-listen to what we've talked about and the other people and good uh, guests that you have on here gives them that insight and they can come back and listen to it again and again to make sure that they understand um, the way that all these different states work. So I really think that's good, uh, good service that it provides for you. Sounds good, buddy. We'll take care and uh, uh, pat those kiddos for me. And uh, you got three little ones under three, don't you? Yeah. So actually, my my I have two older kids, 15 and 13, and then I have uh, my youngest. I mean, one of my younger sons, Jax, actually turns four today, and <laughs> and then I have two under him. So I have I basically <laughs> have a a two and a half year old, a four year old now, and a baby girl that's nine months old. And your and your wife's calling you to announce that you got twins on the way. No, no, it's official. It's official. We're done. The plan was the plan was one, and we ended up we had three. And so, at this stage of the game, it's uh, I'm 42. I don't need to have kids when I'm 72 and a half. But I'll, I'll be doing a lot of hunting when I'm 60 with these kids. I can tell you that. That's awesome, buddy. All right. God bless. Take care. Okay. Okay. All right, Jay. Thank you. All right.